So welcome, I'm your host, Ben Lorica. I'm the Chief Data Scientist at O'Reilly Media and I also Direct Content Strategy for Strata and Hadoop World. And I'm here with Scott Jar, one of the co-founders of Vault DB. Welcome, Scott. Welcome, thank you, Ben. So how did, uh, so what was the genesis for Vault DB? So since you're a co-founder, um, what led to the, the start of Vault DB? Yeah, so um, I founded VoltDB with uh, with Mike Stonebreaker, who, who many of your listeners have probably heard of before. Um, Mike pioneered, along with uh, a bunch of other professors from some great institutions across the country, they, they started in, in um, 07 with an idea that, you know, is it the end of an era for the transactional database? You know, back in the days when we used to call it OLTP. And the thought process was, geez, you know, we as an industry, we've kind of created newer replacement technologies for most of the database workloads, but OLTP has sort of been the one that was, you know, harder to, to catch and harder to figure out how to actually do. It was a critical amount of data and, and applications and workloads, but somehow or another it, it, it had to it had to be um, there had to be a solution to to solve the scale and performance problems of that. So, so that was so, so. At this point, Scott, was this uh, they were asking this question as academics or as academics who worked in industry? No, this was an academic question. So th this is in in '07, um, purely in the academic. And an MIT white paper was called "End of an Era." Uh, it was the founding paper that really started the thought process around what what ultimately became HStore which ultimately uh, later became commercialized in, um, in 2009 to become VoltDB. So, so the OLTP systems for people listening out there I, means online transaction processing, but uh, there have been OLTP systems that have been, had been around for many years at that point, right? So what, the, what was the particular sweet spot for systems like Vault, at least in the early days? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of the academic work that Mike has done, and, and others too, is, is really been around taking a, um, a system and creating orders of magnitude performance improvements. So, and, that, and Vault was no different. You know, they looked at the traditional workload that was, you know, transaction processing, OLTP, and they said, well, you know, there's so many applications where this is not sufficient to what we do and people are building all these types of workarounds. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could build a system that was 50 or 100 times faster? So, so just, just to put it in context, not sufficient because at that point in time, Right. So at that point in time, there was much more data. Is that is that what was happening? No, it, 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 we're talking about throughput problems. Oh, so, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So classical LTP workloads where somebody says, you know, this, this all, this Oracle or MySQL or uh, SQL Server works perfectly well for what I'm trying to do, um, serving interactions with customers or doing banking transactions when I'm doing, you know, 20 a second. What happens if I need to do 20,000 or 20 million? That that's where it started to to break very seriously, and and that was the space that they looked at for the academic research. So it was very much around these short transaction processing workloads. Back then they were called OLTP. Now we call them interaction or operational databases. It's kind of the same sets of concepts, but the characteristics have changed some, and and they're clearly far more performant. And they're um, far more um, likely to be run in a cloud environment as well. Right, right. So I guess because of 
vaults uh, uh, DNA coming from having solved these hard uh, problems in OLTP and transactions. I imagine you guys have all of the nice goodies that uh, uh, come with that, like acid and consistency and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's we, kind of baked into the DNA of the company. Yeah, we, we came at the problem uh, from the perspective of we didn't want to get rid of those things. We, we, we looked at those, or say we, but it, the, truly at this point in time, it was the academic research side. And throw in one more thing, Scott, SQL. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a little thing like SQL. Yeah. So the um, the academics that were on this project said, we're not going to give up those things. And they they truly didn't believe that they were causing the problems in performance. And, you know, Ben, kind of give you a little bit, uh, an old story, but it's it's a good story, is the thing that, the, that they did was they took a traditional style OLTP database and they ran it in memory and they said, well, let's look at what it actually does. And what they found was that it was only doing it was doing less than ten percent of its effective workload in in processing transactions. The rest was dealing with overhead in, in various forms. So they said, without getting rid of any of the things that we we know and love in the database world, consistency, SQL, acid transactions, you know, all those types of things, relational structures, high level query languages. Let's keep all that, but let's see if we can make this thing go faster. So when they did that, those tests and realized that 90% of the, the processing uh, power was being utilized by overhead, they said, well, let's just get rid of that. And that was the genesis of how we got um, to the HStore paper that ultimately became VaultDB. Yeah, so now, now actually now that I remember it, so around the time that Vault was coming out, of course, the NoSQL systems were also starting to blow up and... Uh, I think many of those systems would be characterized as eventually consistent, right? So I think that was another thing that kind of stood out for me with, with Vault was the, the strong consistency from the get-go. Yeah, and you know, it, it's funny, when when those systems were coming out and they were coming on very strong, uh, it was around the same time that um, we were coming out with Vault, people were asking questions. Well, you're consistent and they're not, or you're relational and they're not. They don't have SQL. They said SQL's slow. You know, it, I think that really lost um, the the true the, the true meaning of what the differences were. And the differences were in workloads. And, you know, I, I, I'm constantly counseling people to, to, to not get mired in the details of, you know, is this consistent and that not, or, you know, what does this thing look like or that? Let's look at the workloads that people are trying to accomplish. And I think what we've seen over time is that the NoSQL products have started, you're seeing it a lot now. They're, they're, many of them are claiming, right. oh, well, now we have some acid characteristics in this subset. Now we have SQL. Now we have SQL or we have CQL or we have something. You know, consistency is not around about which is the... Um, you know which data is important enough to have that or not. It's it's around the ease and the ability to create applications that work well for your users. SQL is the same way, right? It's right. all it's doing is presenting a high level query language that's that allows a programmer, a developer of these applications to effectively utilize the data without having to do a ton of work themselves. Right, right, right. So transactions are great, right? So I mean, so but in many ways, they're raw data for people who run companies. They also require a lot of an analysis and analytics. So one of the trends that I'm noticing these days is there's these systems that are starting to emerge, and VaultDB uh, is uh, one of these prominent 
examples of systems that are somewhat hybrid that can handle both transactions and analysis. So is, is this something, Scott, that you're hearing from enterprises as well, as something that they would like in some of these systems? Yeah, enormously. Um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the, uh, well, you know, go back in time, you know, I started to tell you the story about the, the beginning of Vault, and one of the things we quickly noted in the difference between the uh, academic research and the commercialization of the, of the product was that customers were telling us analytics are also important in the transaction, and, th and I mean that very literally. I'm going to use these real-time analytics or analytics that are happening and occurring right now. I'm going to use those as part of my decision-making process in a transaction. So that has sort of been, you know, a core part of how we've built uh, the product and the company over the last five, six years. And what we're seeing now is is a very strong trend towards companies and analysts and the press and and enterprises all realizing, yeah. You know, this is really valuable. And you also see a lot of people that are trying to take the baby steps to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The timescales time yeah, scales used to be a limitation. And now you can have, uh, give me, give me uh, the top N over the last uh, 20 minutes, over the last day, over the last month. Right? So. It, exactly. And, and that, ha that can happen right now. And but the question becomes, what do I do with that, right? Because I'm only running analytics, whether it was the 30-day ones or the minute ones. I'm only running them to make better decisions. And our our theory and our belief, and we're seeing it borne out in in large enterprises, is that once you start to get to this level of the analytics are real time, that means the decision needs to be real time, which means the decision needs to be automated. If the decision is automated and in real time, now you're talking about this convergence of streaming real-time analytics in the operational database. That's where, that's where we're starting to really see people ha have pulled back this analytics um, uh, interest that they have to the point where they're saying now it has to be somewhat, there's some layer at which it's integrated into the application and now it's a database problem. And, and so the, many of these streaming analytics alone solutions are nice if you're just looking to do real-time dashboards. But the moment that you're looking to actually react as a, as a data transaction in real time with those analytics, now you're talking about a database problem. And, and that's where the market's actually um, showing a lot of uh, excitement right now. And so what, what these hybrid OLTP, OLAP systems like Vault allow you to do is also do all of what you described, but reduce the operational complexity and cost, right? Oh, yeah, tremendously, because you're doing it in one system. You're not doing it in five systems. Now, I, I will say that Volt's not a system that is going to go and replace all your, your um, data warehouse and your uh, Hadoop data lake or any of that. You know, we, we believe very strongly that databases have particular um, positions within this, um, within this enterprise data architecture where you know, there's a fast side and there's a, there's a big side. And on the big side, you know, there's all sorts of really interesting things with data warehouses and column stores and Hadoop and um, some of the Spark SQL and all the SQL layers on top. That's all great stuff and, and Volt doesn't displace any of that. Volt works very well with that. 
but there's a front end that's very fast that has ingestion of sensors and it has transactions on those sensors and it has uh, real-time analytics that are involved in those transactions and somehow that data needs to move from that fast world in Volt seamlessly into your big world in your data lake and that all together becomes an enterprise data architecture which looks like a data pipeline and, and that's the architecture that we see very prevalent in the industry right now. So speaking of one of our favorite, mutually our favorite phrase, data lake. <laughs> um, so, so the uh, so the architecture you're describing. So you've got these transactions, right, coming, uh, being processed by Vault. Some uh, uh, post processing is happening to do some analytics, all in Vault. But then a copy of those transactions go to the data lake. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Either, either before, and I know we're getting a little geeky here, but um, you could use a lot, a lot of the customers that we're working with use Kafka. Kafka. I, I, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. Kafka is great, great yeah. technology. A lot of people are adopting. So using Kafka, you can say, I'm going to send one copy to the transaction system for, for operational interaction and one copy to the data lake. Or you could say, I'm going to send one copy to the transaction system. That's going to do the operational interaction, but it's also going to do some, you know, on the fly ETL, some enrichment, some other things with that data, and then put it into the data lake. So I see both variants out there um, in deployment. Uh, yeah, I think so. People refer to this as the Lambda architecture, right? Well, yeah, in, in some ways, but I, I think the reason that I separate Lambda from what we're talking about here is that Lambda is an analytics. Right, uh, right, 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 right. Lambda's all around, how, how do I take analytics and There's, let... Yeah, yeah, the, I have the real-time analytics and then I've got the batch analytics. Exactly, and it's, and it's almost, and it's out of band from the operational workload. Right. And, and I think if you're adding real-time analytics to an, an existing operational workload, that, that's not a bad architecture. I, I, I think it's sort of a, a nice stepping stone. But once you get to the point where you say, well, look, that operational interaction is, is exceeds what I have in horsepower from my database, now you're talking about the kind of system where you, let's bring that all together, have the operational and the real-time analytics, the streaming analytics, and the operational interaction together in one system. That's, that's where we're at. So speaking of these modern stream processing uh, components like Kafka, Spark Streaming, and things like that, so I've, I've always thought that there are two fundamental things those systems brought to the table and do, and do well, or at least some of these systems, right? So one, the ability to replay and reprocess data uh, so that if your logic or your algorithm changes, maybe you want to run through your transactions or your streams again through your system. And two, the ability to contextualize your data uh, by adding state, uh, so what people call streaming joins. So you take a real-time stream and then join it with a static table. And, and that aspect of it, particularly, I would imagine Vault can do really well. Yeah, because you're combining it into one system. You're, right. you're exactly right, Ben. Um, you know, when you say where, where's that state being held, um, that's often almost always going to be in a database. So now you've got a second system. And if you really need to add some of those aggregates or the, the streaming analytics that the um, stream processing system is doing and you want to add that to the data, now you're storing that in another database or maybe the same one on another system. And it starts to get complex at that point in time. So yeah, Volt does that in a single system because 
I think when yeah yeah because you need you need to contextualize your data to really unlock the value of it right so if I have a table which has all the customer demographic information I want to join that to this transactions right so. yeah and and that customer data might be changing in real time as well right 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 um, hey, uh, so one of the things that's funny about this whole thing that you brought up earlier is SQL, right? So when uh, when a lot of these uh, NoSQL systems uh, first came on board, you know, I mean, so maybe we don't need SQL anymore. But uh, I always thought that, man, this is just a matter of time before these things have SQL. Yeah. Because there's so many things that depend on SQL. And also, to be to be honest, SQL is so expressive and simple once you know how to use it. Right, right. You know, I mean, you have to jump through so many hoops to do uh, something you can write down in a few lines of SQL, right? Yeah, and I think in, in many ways we saw the same thing. Um, it, you know, there was a, a huge push towards key value and NoSQL, not, not meaning the technology, but the idea that there was a different query into that um, data. And we kind of sat back and said, you know, they're going to come this way. But on the other hand, you know, the other side of it is that we learned a lot, too. And right. the things we learned was that JSON is, is a phenomenal um, way to deal with data as well, not as opposed to, but as well. So we use it together with the relational and SQL. So you can have a relational table that has a JSON field in it. And that gives a lot of power to people. So you hey, can have a flexible hey. schema. Let's make this a little more concrete by highlighting some of the applications and use cases that you feel uh, really excited about, right? So, if, if, you know, we can even name a few domains and you can rattle off a few examples from uh, these domains. So where, where do systems like VaultDB, where are they really shining and where, where are they making a difference? So we're seeing, um, and I love the way you phrased it, you know, what I'm excited about. So I really love um, this one market that we're in, not because it's enormous, but because it it's going to be. It's going to be huge. Um, and it's come so much faster than I ever expected it to. And it, it's, you know, I hate to even say the words because it's so buzzwordy right now, but it, it's the IoT. And yeah, yeah see, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, we see it a lot in um, in utilities. So no, you know, it also makes us. I mean, it also makes a lot of sense that at some point IoT will require transactions, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that's exactly right. And and I think that the people that are building these large scale systems, and I, I'll give you some very specific examples. Um, the the UK is rolling out um, fifty three million smart meters over the next ten years, and you know, talk about a problem of scale. You know, they're going to start out as maybe. Um, each sensor sending out information every so many minutes, but they they will get down to every second or so. And when you start to look at that and you say sensors are, are sending in data, so now I have these streams of data and maybe I want to look at some you know, analytics, that are streaming analytics on that in real time to make some you know determinations as to what the network looks like. But there's a transaction too, and the transaction says, well, geez, this sensor reading is out of context for how it was or how it should be, or this looks like a data breach type record that's coming in. Those are all transactions. So in the UK um, project, uh, Volt is the front end and it's ingesting all those meter readings and it's doing uh, security, data quality, some trending analysis in, in the low level, um, uh, you know, real-time analytics area. But it's also then handing it off, much as the architecture I mentioned earlier, handing it off to um, something that looks very much like a data lake in the back end. 
it's interesting because uh, I think people uh, immediately get that at some point, you know, when IoT becomes popular, it'll be high throughput, right? So, but what's interesting about what you're saying is I, I, you know, and I've always thought about this too, is that transactions will also become important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you yep. really need actually uh, a system like Vault is actually well positioned in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Totally agree, right? So IoT is a really good one. Mobile's a really good one as well. Um, we see an awful lot of customers, and and they're not small customers. These are are the major global um, telco type customers that have realized that there's a tremendous amount of valuable data that's coming off of these mobile devices, and they should be able to do stuff with that. So whether those things are for contextual marketing applications or whether they're for enforcing um, bill shock and regulatory requirements around telco interactions or whether they're just about new platforms that they're building out, um, we see a, a tremendous amount in that area. So I think one of the major, uh, you know, getting from, from industry down to application here Personalization is a phenomenal application um, of real-time transactions. It's one of those things where you, you might think quickly, um, or at least I did, hey, this is all about ad placement. And sure, it's ad placement, but there's a lot more to it than that. I, you know, I, I once One day I had a conversation with somebody about ad placement, then I had a conversation with somebody in the financial services industry, then I had a, a conversation with somebody in the pharmacy or um, uh, biomedical industry and what I realized is all three use cases in those three very different industries were all about personalization of information so that is a very real-time operational interaction that requires the same things that we're talking about it's streaming analytics and it's a transaction at the same time so that that's a use case that's sort of broad across industries cool uh, so in closing, I mean, I always like to take uh, advantage of uh, industry veterans like you to pick your brain about trends in uh, the data space. And um, let me just throw out a, uh, a few things that I've noticed over the last uh, 12 to 18 months that seem to be gaining uh, enterprise adoption. Um, so real-time systems like uh, what you guys have. but I think also cloud computing, not probably enterprises are not ready to move everything to the cloud, but uh, bits and pieces of what they do, particularly analytics. Um, and then uh, Spark, Spark is huge. So care to comment on any of these uh, technologies from enterprise adoption perspective, real time, cloud and Spark. Yeah, so I, I I have thoughts on all three. Um, <clears throat> I think the real time one is 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 pretty interesting, um, and I only say pretty interesting as opposed to super interesting because it's not new. No, no, it's not new. No, no, real time is a funny thing because uh, it was a big maybe ten years ago, then five years ago, but now it's big again. But it seems like we finally have the tools in place to really build real time smart apps. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, um, yes, I, I totally agree. And I, I, I often say that I, I think that what we used to see was we saw real-time apps proliferate in areas where the value was so extraordinary 
that you could afford the monster systems to do it. And, and, and then the rest of the people had real-time systems, but no real-time data. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and we didn't have the data sources. So financial services has been doing real-time, you know, the, the stock market guys. They've been doing real-time right, for right. a very long time. But they would hire the, the 50 smartest uh, programmers of real-time in the world. They'd spend millions and millions of dollars on hardware, and they didn't care because microseconds, uh, you know, could make them billions of dollars. But it wasn't until relatively recently, just as you say, that that now is top of mind for industries, not just financial and telco, but for everybody. You know, as we move more towards um, sensors and, you know, sensors everywhere, mobile everywhere, internet everywhere, everything connected, that we start to see these applications being um, touching every industry. So what about cloud computing? So cloud, I... I, and I'm not saying something that a hundred people haven't said before, but I, I think the large challenge we've had around the terminology cloud is that it gets conflated with private and public cloud. Right, um, right, right. I think that the idea that companies are looking to have um, real time, again, real time, right? It's back yeah, yeah. to real time, real time, um, scalable infrastructure that gets managed as a cloud. There, there's nobody that's not looking at that right now. That is just right. core for everybody. And whether that's going to be run <clears throat> in their data center or somebody else's data center or a hybrid of the two, uh, you know, that's geographic-based, that's uh, industry-based, that's data-based. There's all sorts of reasons that you would choose one or the other. But the technology around um, using cloud architectures is prolific. And, you know, we're we're actually... A, a huge beneficiary of that because if you look at the way that old monolithic transaction databases worked that they're not cloud friendly oh, yeah, right, right. They, they hate the cloud um, in both the technology as well as frankly the licensing model so right. we have a lot of customers that are saying you know we need to move away from these monolithic databases because we're moving to a cloud-based infrastructure and we want it to be you know a fast transaction so volt becomes a great solution for them so I, I think it's more, if you're talking about the technology as opposed to who's hosting it, then there's no question. It's, it's everywhere right now. So are you, so the final thing on, on this list of three things is Spark. So are you guys seeing a lot of interest in Spark among the people you talk to as well? So Spark, I, Spark is very young right now. It's a, <clears throat> it's great technology. I, I'm really thrilled to see where where it's at and um, that there's so uh, IBM, IBM had that big announcement, right? Yeah, great stuff. I, I think one of the areas of Spark that I find um, a little confusing is <clears throat> the fact that people are conflating Spark in general with certain aspects of Spark. Because as, as you know, Ben, and, and probably most of the listeners do too, Spark is a collection of many different pieces of technology yes, all sort yeah, of yeah, based yeah. around the same... Um, Execution engine. Yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> and so... I'm seeing a lot of interest at the that, like you have said and 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 know at the IBM layer, where people are looking for that you know MapReduce version two, as well as maybe how do we get back to our SQL question, right? How do we get right. SQL on top of Hadoop? Those things all, I, th I think Spark is a is a great pathway for that. Um, and, and that's generally where we've seen it. I, I can't see that I see a whole lot of it in enterprise adoption at this point at in this time. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still early, right? right. And, I, and I don't expect that at this stage of, of, a, of a relatively early market. Well, Scott Jar, thank you. This has been great. And uh, 
it, um, I mean, I'm super excited about real time in general, but I'm also really excited about these hybrid transaction analytic systems moving forward. And I think we are really at a, a great inflection point here. I think building many of these smart, real time intelligent apps are going to get even simpler. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ben. I appreciate talking with you.